we are the truth. We are the best, no longer best kept secret. Everybody knows who CRNAs are. And if they're not a CRNA, they probably want to be a CRNA or they wish they were because our message is the best right now. We're experiencing the most disruptive time in the history of healthcare. With this podcast, I'm going to connect you with industry and CRNA thought leaders to help you thrive in these unprecedented times. I'm your host, Randy Moore, CEO of the AANA, and this is Moving the Needle. Today on the show, uh, we're lucky to have Jenny Schmidt joining us. Uh, we'll be talking about advocacy and then and then advocacy and then maybe some more advocacy. Jenny Schmidt is currently the chair of the AANA Government Relations Committee. She has served on the Oklahoma Association of Nurse Anesthetists Board for almost six years. She helped lead a team of CRNAs and their supporters to remove physician supervision uh, for CRNA practice in Oklahoma and it obtained the 19th opt-out. She's also the 2019 Ira P. Gunn Award winner for Outstanding CRNA Advocacy. Okay, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today on Moving the Needle. Really excited to have this conversation with you. Absolutely, Randy. I am very happy to be here today with you. Yeah, I've had the, the pleasure to get to know you better over the last couple of years or so, and I've uh, even being involved in some direct lobbying with you in, in Oklahoma, yes. which, was, uh, which uh, watching Jenny Schmidt in action is is so, <laughs> certainly something to behold. Uh, uh, no, we'll probably have to tell that. We'll have to tell that story at some point today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a very interesting experience for me, and 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 to watch, like I said, to watch you in action was, was a lot of fun with your lobbying team and, and other other leaders within Oklahoma. But so you know, obviously. It, Thinking about you and your role within the profession, I think a lot about the work that you do for advocacy at the state level. You're uh, very engaged uh, at the state level and with uh, the AANA State Government uh, Affairs because uh, you're, you're the chair of our GRC or Government uh, Relations Committee. And I'm curious what when you think about the, your vision for where C CRNA advocacy is going in the future, what are your thoughts about that and how does that relate to or play into what you're seeing in the healthcare marketplace? Well, Randy, I would say Right now, the message that CRNAs have is the most powerful I think it's ever been in history and the role that we, we fill in the healthcare marketplace. And with advocacy, what I'm seeing happening is we're seeing more and more states have more and more victories. But I think that with some of the barriers that are still in place, we have a lot of work to do. And so as when I was working on uh, GRC committee this year, it was really great to work with Arkansas and work with their team there on the ground to help pass legislation there. But what I see with the advocacy is that we need to take a bigger approach, right? We have a great message. And I was disappointed when I kind of seen some of the states get stopped along the way. And I think there's some things that we, at the AANA and as a um, community of advocates can do, to, not to be cliche, but to move the needle down, mm -hmm. you know, because there, there are things and strategies and advocacy that I don't think that we're utilizing yet. And I know I've had a lot of conversations with state leaders about different ways and different strategies to be successful. It's a very exciting time. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. Well, tell me more. So when you say, let's say, so we, uh, we, let's say we had unlimited resources at the ANA and all we did all day long was advocacy. What, what, what would we be doing differently? Well, for one, I would want to find ways to better fund legislative initiatives, not just 
about PAC money, mm. but there are tools that you can utilize in the political realm. You know, I'm a political CRNA, so I look at things almost from the vision of a lobbyist, not as a CRNA. Mm. And there's ways that you can move votes and move members to be, you know, teach them about your issues that we're not doing. Like, I love the idea of independent expenditures. Mm. You know, I, I know that the AANA did some independent expenditures this last summer. And um, it, it tells legislators that you're willing to go into their districts to talk to their voters about our issues. And that's powerful, but that costs money, right? Yeah. We did that here in Oklahoma. You know, we sent out independent expenditures when our bill was in the uh, Senate Health Committee, and it was powerful. You know, we were able to activate normal everyday citizens and got them to care about anesthesia and make those calls to their legislators. That costs money. You know, I would love to fund initiatives like that. There are other things you can do in terms of, you know, expansion of lobby teams. You know, these medical associations have huge lobby teams. I'd love to be able to fund a larger lobbying force for some of our smaller states where they just, you know, don't sometimes outgunned by the medical associations. There are advocacy tools that exist in the world. They're not cheap, but they are um, companies that literally do what I do for free. And they help CRNAs build relationships and create almost an infrastructure over top of their uh, lobbying efforts, plus their grassroots efforts to make it a more targeted approach. And these companies are like firms that you can hire out. I mean, there's so many different things that bigger industries, I mean, and healthcare is one of the biggest industries that exist. Mm -hmm. You know, oil and gas use these things. Defense companies use these things. Because outside of direct lobbying and grassroots, there's lots of different pieces to the political realm that I think we could use on the federal and the state level and fund some of these initiatives that I think would be fantastic. I think we should invest money in candidate training. If you look at the physicians, something that they do really well is elect physicians into their state and national legislature, right? They are training the next generation of physicians to be all over and they serve as stop gaps for a lot of our legislation, right? So we need to teach CRNAs, one, you know, how do you hire a good political consultant? How do we uh, run for office? How do you file for office? What's an ethics report? You know, an overall candidate boot camp, right? Mm. And that could be a, something that we fund and have that initiative. So then we have CRNAs getting elected to office. We saw in South Dakota, that was fantastic, mm. two CRNAs get elected. We saw uh, Jennifer Bannock in, you know, Illinois get elected. So I just would like to see more of that, but we need to run in the races that we can win, right? right? So you have to be strategic because if the CRNA puts themselves on a ballot and they don't understand how to run for office and say they're a political CRNA in their state, they draw physician opponents to support the other people in the race where you might've not had physician opposition, mm. but because the CRNA is on the ballot, now you have a doc funded candidate. And if you don't win, now you have another doc candidate that's been supported by the anesthesiologist that is in your state legislature. So we have to be careful about the races we pick mm -hmm. and win where we can. And so there's strategy to that, right? But I want, I would love to fund initiatives to teach people how to do that and to do it effectively so that we can win in the most places. I mean, I could go, I mean, there's more. You want me to keep going? <laughs> there's so many What's other this? things. Let me ask you a question about that, because the, the conversations that we have at AANA, when we talk about strategy, business strategy, public relations strategy, just strategy mm -hmm. in general, is mm -hmm. one, of, one of the core tenets is that uh, you, you, you concentrate resources in areas that are likely to, well, let me join in the pun, move the needle, right? So right. You know, instead of boiling the ocean and say, we're going through a 50-state strategy, we're going to move 
X, Y, and Z through 50 states, I would ask and maybe even challenge anyone who, who would want to approach it in that fashion, that that's, that's probably not, that's going to dilute our resources and our focus. Right. So maybe, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I suspect you agree. How, how do we make those tough decisions? Because there are many states who are coming to, to us and, and say, hey, we think there's an opportunity here. Right. Can we have some resources from you, whether it's talent from our advocacy team or our marketing or PR team uh, or, or money, you know, hard right. money for, for lobbyists, uh, for, for lawyers, uh, for PAC events and, and things of that nature? How do we prioritize? Well, and it's interesting you ask that question because that is something that myself and Anna Poyak work closely on together with SGA and GRC. You know, Mm -hmm. we pick priority states that we believe after evaluating their situations, these are states that we believe can win. That if we target them with resources, if we say, you know, outside of what we did this last year, you pick five states over one to two year period, because sometimes these political, you know, jobs that you're wanting to accomplish with legislation, it takes more than a year. Right. It's like a one to two year investment. Our investment we did in Oklahoma was a two to three year process. And you look at, you know, the leadership on the board, the size of the state, you know, their lobbying, what their nurse practice act is, you know, do they have all these things? And we had this list that we looked at and everybody across all 50 states had a rank. Right. And, you know, you can speak with these boards, but I just think you don't dilute the resources. You pick three to five states. And you target them. That doesn't mean that the AANA is not going to be there for the other mm. 45 to 47 states. They might not just be the priority for the resources, right? But a lot of times I feel like we're recreating the wheel state after state after state when the blueprint has already been made for us. So we just take this and we're like, all right, in 2021, these are the three states that we are going to dump all our resources in and we're going to push them over the top. Mm. After we win there, then the next year, you know, these are the next three and prioritize them, you know. And when I looked at that list, there are a lot of states I'm like, man, I wish we could do all of them. But mm-hmm. I fully agree with you. We don't want to dilute our resources because we want to give our state associations the best opportunity to win against, in most places, this David versus Goliath battle against these yeah. large, I call them the medical mafia, but you know, medical associations that literally exist to restrict our practice in any way, shape or form. So yeah, no, definitely. Three to five states, I think, every one to two years, targeted and focused, laser focus, resources, lobbying, extra money for funding for different advocacy things, direct mail, independent expenditures, you know, PR, whatever you want to call it, you know, the CRNA safe is fabulous. That's another thing just to add to the puzzle. Yeah. And and the takeaway there for us is, obviously, you, you and other folks have been involved, is that there, there seems to be a pretty direct correlation between <laughs> the AANA position itself in a proactive way, mm-hmm. more proactive than we've been in the past, and providing states leadership support, strategy support, and, mm-hmm. and financial and, and communication support. Those states seem to be moving the ball down the field, right? And I've tried not to say moving the needle again. <laughs> I know, so, but it's, <laughs> so, I like the football analogy. Right, right. So there's something there. There is something mm-hmm. there. And, and the, yeah. the cool thing about how the way that we're approaching our strategy now is through experimentation, iterative experimentation. We're trying things. Right. Some things don't work. Some things work uh, better than we thought they were. And, and we're collecting data and, and, we're, and we're changing uh, as needed. And it's fun to have that mindset. And I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, who you just, you know, Oklahoma is a state that's recently, re- relatively recently had two big wins. Mm-hmm. 
thinking about the importance of coalitions. Because when we first started talking, and you're and again, I'm I'm just a I'm just a simple country you know, country anesthetist. I was not you know as familiar with the influence of some of the coalitions you were you and other folks were able to leverage in Oklahoma to 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 be successful. And I think that's a real important takeaway from other folks who are listening here. Tell us about that. So when I started to participate in politics a few years ago in my state, I noticed that there was a similar group of people that all kind of were at the same places. And I started to observe the lobbying in the building. And I started to observe people working together. And I'll actually tell you that the moment that the light bulb went out for me, or went not out, but on, sorry, uh-huh. the light bulb uh-huh. turned on, you know, I was sitting at the Oklahoma State Medical Association at a meeting before session started about let's try to work together so we don't have this big fight. And they're asking everybody what they want. And there was lobbyists from significant amount of groups, not just the medical association, but other ones that wanted to participate in this meeting. It was, and then it was the nurse practitioners and the nurse anesthetists. And towards the end of it, everybody was excusing themselves and leaving. And I heard a group of the lobbyists over to the right of me go, are we going to go cast our votes at the state chamber after this? And I, and I stopped for a second and I started to ask questions of my lobbyists and I go, well, yeah, every Monday morning, all the lobbyists meet, you know, and all of the associations that are members of the state chamber to vote on whether or not they are for or against or neutral on bills. And then the chamber takes a position. I'm like, well, we're not even chamber members. We're not even at the table with this large, Mm -hmm. powerful business association that leverages a lot of, of, of power in our state. So I went to our board and I go, we need to be a part of this because we don't want them to take the position of against our bill because we're not at the table with them. Mm -hmm. And right now the state medical association and the anesthesiologists and the DOs, and all of the big hospitals, independent systems, they're a member of this organization. So we joined at the same level as all of them. And they took the position of neutral, but then we were able to form more relationships. And then I started to think about who cares about our issue besides us, because we're facing this Goliath opponent. The Oklahoma State Medical Association is like $110 million in operating funds. Like they have unlimited funds to do whatever they want to us. And so we've got to find other people who have powerful lobbying at the Capitol who care about our issues. And that's when, you know, three of the main ones that were the biggest supporters of us were uh, AARP, the Americans for Prosperity, but the sleeper one that was the most beneficial. I started to notice that people had plaques and trophies on the in their offices that said, I have a 100% voting record with the Oklahoma Farm Bureau. Mm. And so I asked one of them, I would go, tell me about that. And they go, well, how do you think a city senator wins a statewide race in a rural state and gets rural Oklahoma to vote for them? I'm like, tell me about it. They go, you have a 100% voting record with the Oklahoma Farm Bureau. And I'm like, I need to get them on our team because mm. a lot of places where CRNA struggled was urban, uh, legislative seats because those are dock heavy districts, right? So how do I make them choose between their Farm Bureau precious trophy and voting no again? So I was like, I need to explain to them about why rural Oklahoma is going to benefit from us. And I went, they have a giant building similar to what they have in Washington, D.C. And for an hour, I walked and pitched why CRNs are important to a board of farmers and ranchers, the most par- powerful farmers and ranchers in a rural state. Let them ask me questions talk to them about what we provide to their members out in uh, rural Oklahoma. And after about an hour, they decided to do what they called score our bill, which is a makes it a priority that if you vote that it 
it's one of those, if you vote no on this, you're not going to have your perfect Farm Bureau record. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they endorsed it. And they were one of our biggest supporters. It was fantastic. They are powerful, powerful lobbying here. And our issues are the same issues. We care about rural America. We care about rural Oklahoma and their, you know, businesses out there. They need access to great quality health care. They don't just need education. They need a healthy, educated workforce out there. They need their women to be able to get epidurals for uh, delivering babies. And it became a very powerful partnership. And so that was, I would say that was one of the ones that really meant the most to me because we believed in them and they believed in us. Um, we actually had pretty much every CRNA in the state of Oklahoma sign up to be Farm Bureau members. You know, I'm like, hey, they support us, we'll support them. So, you know, most CRNAs in the state of Oklahoma are now Farm Bureau members. You know, see so these, these relationships that should be very natural that you just don't think about because mm -hmm. they're not a healthcare relationship, but really everyone should care about CRNAs. Everyone should care about healthcare from business people to everyone because your community needs access to great health care. And that's what CRNAs do. Yeah. We're the ones well, that are there. I'll, I'll call out that I heard you say the word relationship probably about 15 times. And, <laughs> and I think that's really, really important because at the end of the day, right. moving advocacy, moving legislation, having influence is all about relationships. Absolutely. And, and I've seen time and time again, how one or two key relationships uh, is the deciding factor uh, between success and failure. Yes, and, and 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 thinking about at the state level for folks who 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 are interested in getting involved is huge part of this is laying the foundation uh, yes. for uh, for when the opportunity presents itself and and that's that's what I'm hearing from you is relationship building right mm -hmm. and 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 the other piece of this again this is the same thing I mean it's, it's relationship building but it's with coalitions the power of coalitions to carry your water uh, for you at the state national level cannot be overstated. Uh, and and right. we've seen this time and time again. We are frequently successful because of who we've been able to recruit on our teams. Right. Well, and you have to have a diverse team because, I mean, you've got to have a lot of different people with a lot of different relationships working in a lot of different ways to present the message to the people that matter. And the thing that I've tried to tell CRNAs, and I recently spoke in Arkansas, and a good half of my talk is about relationship building, mm. that all the PAC money in the world, all of the all of the things that we do, at the end of the day, it's going to be that relationship between that CRNA and their legislator that makes the difference that you can text your member of the Senate when there's an awful QZ AA mm. bill in the state of Oklahoma. And I know my CRNA has that great relationship with her senator. And I called her up and I go, I need you on this one because his signature is the signature that matters today. And she goes, well, I just text him. He said, don't worry about it. I have it handled. That was a relationship that took time and cultivating. She knocked doors for him, uh, made phone calls for his campaign, donates, always there to support them. And then they're there to support us. And so I do the same thing with my member of the state house and Senate. You know, anytime they need support, I'm there for them. I get to know them. I care about their, not just our issues, but what are their issues? And then how can I be of service to help them on their campaign? Because ultimately, once that relationship is built, it's very, very hard for somebody to, to look at our issue then and not be supportive. Mm. And so, you know, we should be making not just with legislators, members of the community, other people um, in the circle of influence within your state or federally, right? 
with the executive branch, with your federal delegation. You know, we, a lot of times, I think we miss that piece with the governor. You know, I am a huge supporter of our governor of state. I think he's fantastic. I try to support him every opportunity that I get. And he signed our legislation and well, you, I mean, you met him, you got to fly down and know a lot of people don't know yeah. that you flew down to Oklahoma and participated. You, know, you, got to, <laughs> you did, you did. Oh man. And man, with the opposition pretty upset about that. When I introduced yeah. you in front of the governor, I go, and this is the CEO of the AANA, Randy Moore and uh, the whole room, their jaws dropped yeah, and they felt like that was a fabulous fun. meeting, but you know, That's... it's like that. Re- yeah. That relationship right there is important. Mm-hmm. And that took time. That took a, yeah. a few years to get that. And, um, you know, a lot of, I don't know, a lot of people realize we had a second opt-out letter drop. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that yeah, was a fun meeting. Yeah. That, and just for the audience who probably may not know what we're talking about was that, you know, Oklahoma opted out, the governor opted out, and then there was some some pretty significant challenges to it. And, and, and the governor was being pressure, you know, was receiving a lot of pressure for, from organized medicine and probably some other folks. And, and so he had a sit down meeting and uh, I, I came down for that and it was probably my top three weirdest meetings I've ever been involved in. <laughs> and, and I've never seen uh, the governor of Texas, I'm sorry, the governor of Oklahoma uh, literally slammed his head on the table uh, because he, he was so confused and frustrated with what the physicians were saying down there. I had never, yeah. I, I, when I came home and I told the staff this story, like, no way you're, you're exaggerating. No, he was pounding his head on the table because it yeah. hurt so bad. <laughs> well, and, and so, you know, I always, it's funny. My lobbyist likes to tell that story. I go, let's just be clear. That was not when I was speaking, (laughs) (laughs) but I think the thing that was important too, that is an important thing for people listening to hear is that one of the most powerful things about our message is we should always tell the truth because Mm. a lot of times our opponents will like to use mistruth and lies and deception and fear and preaching from a position of authority. And consistently, you know, our message stayed the same, like what was opt out? You know, they were saying that it undid state law and I go, this is a waiver from CMS to remove supervision for Medicare Part A, which is the facility fee for conditions of participation. It's literally just a reimbursement issue, has nothing, you know, consistently kept with the same message of what it was. And I think the most powerful thing was when he said, well, that's okay. I think I'm just going to call the administrator of CMS and then we'll see who's lying. And, you know, and he called, he called Seema Verma and he goes, hey, tell me what this opt-out is. He goes, I have one side saying this, I have one side saying this. And it was beneficial for myself that I've always told the truth and I always explained exactly what it was and never misrepresented us. And so now he rescinded the letter in July, like the anesthesiologist asked, he goes, but here's my new one. As of, you know, he goes, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that, but let me clarify. Yes. Oklahoma wants to opt out. Here's our new letter. You know, we want this for these reasons. And um, you know, that means a lot for someone in that kind of position to understand the value of what we bring to the healthcare system for our state, to mm-hmm. understand the benefit for our hospitals, to understand that we are safe and we provide a valuable service. It, it solidifies all of the sacrifices we've made over the past couple of years to then finally have that last piece. And now we'll do some rule making changes that line up with it, but it's important, you know? And yeah. so I hope that more people start to build those relationships with the people that matter and share their story. We should have opt-outs falling all over every Mm -hmm. state, especially with it being suspended. You know, it's been in place for so long that um, I'd love to see all the individual states pursuing it. Yeah. There's one thing I want to underscore. You said this really, really well. And I I just want to emphasize this is your influence, our influence individually 
is predicated on whether or not the person believes what you're saying, whether they trust you, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been in the room when someone's lied to, to a legislator. And, or I've been in the room when someone's asked a question, was asked a question they didn't know the answer to and they made up the answer. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things I tell people is never, ever lie yeah. because it will come back and get you. It, even if the bad guys are lying, the other guys are lying, they do it. I've, we've been in the room, we've seen it. And if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know the answer, but I'll get back to you. And, and that's okay. Uh, but I've seen it time and time again, where I've been in a room and they said, hey, organized medicine was just in here. And they said, A, B, and C. And I said, and we said, that's factually inaccurate. What they're telling yeah. you, I can prove to you right now is wrong. And then they're dead in the water after that. And I think that that's really, really important. Integrity, even in the political world, uh, is is really important. Absolutely. You know, and I mean, in politics kind of gets a bad rap, right? But honestly, you have a lot of people that are trying to do good work. They're not experts in everything. They have a ton of issues that they have to be concerned on. And that's why our role as CRNA advocates is so important because it's our job to educate them using the truth about what we are to make them an expert on our issue when that time comes. And then also serve as a resource for other things like the opioid epidemic or whatever that you can present yourself as someone that they can trust in the healthcare realm to always deliver factual information, you know, and um, I'm just really grateful that we had the opportunity one for you to come down here and, Mm. and participate in that meeting and kind of see, you know, what some of these states are dealing with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that speaks to you as a CEO and a leader in our organization that, you know, I was able to pick up the phone and, say, hey, Randy, this is important. I think you need to be here. And you were there. And I I just, that means a lot to the CRNAs of Oklahoma, but also I'm sure across the country that we have a CEO who leads by example like that. So I thank you for, for being there oh, in that you. moment for me. It's important. Yeah, well, I appreciate I really appreciate that. And it's an honor and a privilege to, to, yeah. to serve along you and, and other CRNA leaders. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. This, this went by fast, so we're going to have to do a second one. So yeah. if, <laughs> if, if you're open to it, we'll yeah. record sometime in the future. I'm really curious about it something you've changed your mind on in the last year or so. What do you think differently about now? I would say in my role as chair for AANAGRC, mm-hmm. I assumed that advocacy and politics came natural to all CRNA leaders like it does myself. And I found that we have a lot of servant leaders, volunteer leaders serving in roles that this is foreign to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that a lot of them are prepared to lead in the political advocacy realm at the level that it takes to be highly effective without additional training and help and leadership training mm-hmm. and all of those things. And before I assumed that we, every state was like my state. And um, after interacting with a lot of different people over the last year, I just think that we can do better that we can invest more, that I don't want people to not want to volunteer because they feel overwhelmed at the pressure to be successful Mm -hmm. and that they feel that they're surrounded by the tools and the resources that they need to win. And the AANA will be there for these state associations. They're never going to let us fail. They will always be there to support us. But I think there needs to be more work on the front side so that way 
if you know you are going to be pursuing active legislation in January of 2022, what are all of the steps between now and then that you must be doing in order to be successful? And I honestly think that there are states that haven't, that don't quite know yet how mm-hmm. to do that effectively. Um, I've actually done a, a bunch of calls with uh, and some Zooms with some states that if they've reached out and said, hey, we want to run legislation in 2022. Tell us what we should be doing between now and then. Mm-hmm. Help us. And so I've done that and I go, hmm, that's when I changed my mind. I go, maybe we can do better as a whole to can't count on one or two people to teach everyone how to prepare for legislative sessions. So that's where I just feel like there's got to be some more leadership. There's got to be, well, training, leadership training, political advocacy training, not just, you know, federal, the federal stuff, I think we do a great job at. And honestly, Anna and then do a great job with the states, but the political IQ, how do we teach that? very Mm -hmm. difficult. It's very difficult to to teach the political IQ. And how do you separate your own personal opinions from what it takes to win for CRNAs? And you have to be friends with everyone. Yeah, you do that really well. You do that really well. I I will tell, I will commend you that it doesn't matter what your politics are, whatever. But I've seen you, uh, and we've had conversations where when you're talking to a Democrat, you you come off the same, (laughs) like you're a Democrat when you're talking to a Republican. Sure. Okay. (laughs) And, and the best, the best political operatives do that. They 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 keep their own personal political thoughts to the you know their, their yeah. predispositions. They, they that's 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 not part of business. And this is business. Right? Well, and, right, and you have to be ambiguous. You have to, yeah. you know, when you're talking to a Republican, you're like, hey, listen, we remove red tape, remove barriers, less right. government involvement. When you're talking to a Democrat, you're like, hey, listen, you know, we take care of vulnerable populations. We're you know, I mean, all sorts of things, right? But at the end of the day. It's making sure you are sharing your message as a CRNA and your value, whoever's going to listen, I'm going to tell them, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't care. I just, I want everyone on our team. And so I don't think, you know, my situation here is unique with the people that I have to, to work with, but you always have to be willing to work with everyone because our issue is a nonpartisan issue. It is a truth. I mean, we are the truth. We are the best no longer best kept secret. Everybody knows who CRNAs are. And if they're not a CRNA, they probably want to be a CRNA or they Mm. wish they were because our message is the best right now. We provide, we stand on the front lines. We serve all of these patients that are going to be bombarding our healthcare system. So I just, I don't know. I just, uh, it's an exciting time to be in political advocacy in healthcare because it's been revolutionized because of COVID. I mean, we're like 10 years farther than we would have ever been if we had not had a pandemic. I mean, things that could have, should have taken a decade. These things were happening overnight. And so we have to be flexible and mobile and nimble and be able to work with anyone to win for us. Well, because when we win, patients win. Oh, that's it. That's how we end this conversation. There's no better way to end that. That's that's wonderful. Well, it's been wonderful uh, to talk to you, Jimmy. Pleasure. I'm sure we'll do it again. And uh, I appreciate your time. I I know the audience does as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Jenny. We really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you to the listeners uh, for joining us on Moving the Needle. If you like what you're hearing, let your friends, let your colleagues know. Subscribe. Check us out again. Until next time, take care of yourself.